trying to inspire him just to get started earlier. As you know, every decade you wait, it gets about twice as hard as far as how much money you have to dedicate to your investing. So, hey, when you're at 18, that's prime time. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and we're back for another edition of the Actively Passive Investing Show with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Theo, doing great. Happy to be here, as always. Yeah, thank you for joining me yet again. And today, if you're watching on YouTube, as you can see by the book to Travis's right is Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. So we're going to go through the 11 questions that Tim Ferriss asks each of these mentors, and we're going to give our answers. (laughs) But first, Travis, maybe kind of give an intro on what the book's about, why you started reading it. And I know you wanted to kind of say a few things about mentorship in general as well, before we dive into providing our answers. Sure. 
Happy to. So first of all, Tim Ferriss left us out of the book. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> he should consider us his mentors. He didn't. So we thought, hey, we got to do this anyway. And so it's like a bonus chapter of the book kind of thing. There you go. So <laughs> for those not familiar with Tim Ferriss, a big blogger, podcaster, author, speaker, all kinds of things. But I thought this book was really relevant to our show, the Actively Passive show, because we talk a lot about self-education, a lot about the power of mentors and coaching. That seems to be a recurring theme on nearly every episode that we record. So as I'm reading this book, the basis is that Tim Ferriss has a lot of different mentors that he learns from. So he reached out to all of them and said, look, I have these 11 questions. You don't have to answer all of them if you don't want to, or you don't have the time, but please try to answer at least a couple if you can. And he sent this, basically just this Word doc out, and then his mentors replied. So the benefit to the listener is that you get hundreds of different perspectives on these same 11 questions, just about life and success. And we're going to go through these 11 with you sharing our perspectives on them. But I thought that was a really cool concept. It's a quick way to learn a lot from a lot of different people and to have more of an unbiased opinion or mm -hmm. thought process on something. So that's kind of what the book is. It's a book that you can really flip through. You don't have to go page by page. We talk about the speed reading and things like that. This is a great book for that. So that's what we're doing. We're taking his 11 questions to his mentors. Theo and I are going to answer those from our own perspectives. I just thought this would be kind of a fun episode yeah. to record. So it's not based off a blog or anything that I wrote. So that's the backstory to it. Perfect. Yeah. It reminds me, I used to do blog posts for the lightning round questions for each of the podcasts. It's a kind of similar thing. We ask the same questions to every guest. Yep. And then I would compile them into a blog post that people could see what people's best ever books were, best ever deals, best ever way to give back, things like that. So I think me and Joe may have done an episode where we went over the lightning round questions, but I can't remember. But I think this is going to be in a lot more detail and maybe we can steal some of these and, and add them to the lightning round. Do you want me to start or do you want to go first? I'll start by asking you the first question and then I'll answer the same question. We'll just go through like that, I guess. Sure. <laughs> all right, cool. So the first question that Tim asks all of his mentors is, what is a book or books that you've given the most as a gift? And what are one or more books that have greatly influenced your life? That's kind of a loaded question there, but <laughs> take it for what that's worth. Sure. So for all the answers, when I was answering them, I looked at it from the perspective of my job working in real estate. So most of them are things that help me become a better employee of the best ever brand, okay. except for maybe these books, because I don't read many business books. Yeah. So the two that I picked, the first one would be, I've read a lot of Plato recently. Okay. This is like the five dialogues. There's like 20 or so books, but kind of overall, what he does, he kind of goes around and just talks to different people mm -hmm. who are supposed to be experts. And he essentially, in a nice way, exposes them for not knowing what they're talking about. So by reading this, it's helped me strive to be more humble and realize that I don't know as much as I actually think that I do. And the most popular one is probably the apology. And so you can kind of get a distillation of his philosophy of reading that. And that's what he goes to the Oracle of Delphi. And they say, who's the wisest person? And they say Socrates. And he's like, oh, well, I don't know anything. And he goes around and questions people that he thinks are wise and he realizes that they don't know anything and he realizes that wisdom is knowing what you know and realizing what you don't know. And the other book, which probably no one's ever heard of before, but it's called Ordinary Men. Mm -hmm. 
I'd probably say it relates to Man's Search for Meeting, where it's talking about the Nazis. And basically, as the title implies, it talks about a group of ordinary dudes, kind of your average middle class, to think of someone who works in a factory or something, and they got pulled out of the factories to go to Poland, and they start off as normal dudes, and then by the end of it, they were evil, psychopathic killers. And it makes you realize that anyone is capable of really doing anything in certain circumstances. And so it helps you strive to not judge people for the things you disagree with them. Or if you see someone doing something that's wrong, it helps you not judge them because it helps you see yourself in them and realize like, hey, if I was them, I'd be doing the exact same thing. So those are my two books. Travis. I love that. I would not have guessed either of those <laughs> for your book choices. So that's awesome. Appreciate <laughs> and I, I don't really have business books. So these are probably the two closest ones <laughs> I could relate to. <laughs> no, no, they sound cool. I'm gonna have to check them out. So I took this question again, kind of from a real estate perspective. Anyone that's listened to my background stories and podcasts, the first book I ever read that opened my mind to investing in real estate was called Rich Dad Prophecy, mm-hmm. not Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And honestly, it wasn't the greatest book. And I haven't given that book away. I was just using that as a stepping stone to explain my choices. So that put me on the conveyor belt of the rich dad company. (laughs) So I ended up reading all of them, literally. So I'd say the two that stood out the most were Cashflow Quadrant, which Theo and I made an Mm -hmm. episode on here recently. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. It's the four quadrants of how we can all earn income, what the tax consequences are to that, how real estate investing fits into the quadrant. That was huge for me. The one I've given out actually the most to other people has been Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. Again, a rich dad advisor, so kind of the same ecosystem there. And I think we also did an episode on that one, but just very, very eye-opening to me on how to legally reduce taxes on a very moral way, doing what the government says they want done. So those are the two that stood out the most. I read a ton of books. So there's literally hundreds of great books that I could recommend. But those are the two that relate the most to probably this podcast and real mm-hmm. estate investing and how I kind of got my start. So that was my answer to that one, number one. Yeah, yeah but as Travis said, for both of those books, we have uh, actively passive investing show shows on. One was last week and the other one was a month ago or something. Yeah, so go check those out again. We go in a lot more depth about them, but two great books. So moving along, we got to crunch this into 30 minutes. So <laughs> question number two for you, Theo. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? We love specifics, brand model, where you found it, et cetera. This might be goofy, but this Yeti mug right here, this will relate to other answers later on, but I drink coffee a lot, like most people do. And I used to drink it out of a mug. And after 20 minutes, it was cold and I'd be getting up all the time to heat it back up and I'd make it too hot and burn my mouth. Whereas this, when I put coffee in here, I put coffee in there yesterday at like seven and by 9.45, it was still scolding hot. And so it stays hot all day. And so it saves time. Plus it helps me enjoy the coffee while I'm drinking it. And I'm pretty sure it's under a hundred dollars, just Yeti mug yep. and it's a 32 ouncer. That's awesome. Yeah. My wife and I have used Yetis for a long time. We have this one now that's a little thinner and it's got like a glass insert to it. I don't like it as much, to be honest with you, but you throw some ice in there and it's half a day of ice. It's pretty incredible. Just unreal. I'm with you. My answer to this, I kind of answered this in a previous blog post, 
where we were talking about what things bring fulfillment and happiness to your life and what do you really value? Is it really the brand new BMW or is it taking a walk on the beach? That kind of stuff. We were talking about the fire movement. So Zero Shoes, I didn't actually mention the brand before, but since this says specifically the brand make model, so it's X-E-R-O Shoes. Bought these shoes when my wife and I went to go backpack Thailand. And they're the most incredible shoes, just super lightweight. You can roll them up, throw them in a suitcase or in a bag. They're waterproof, breathable, comfortable. And they have like this forever sole on them or forever guarantee on Mm -hmm. the sole of them. So literally I've walked hundreds of miles with these and they look brand new on the sole. It's incredible. So they're probably about 99 bucks. So I put that into the hundred dollar category. Tax. <laughs> tax yeah. Yeah. If you can get tax free, then that qualifies, but anyway, they're phenomenal shoes. So anybody who's a runner or outdoors person, they're great for just hiking and jogging, all kinds of stuff. So that was mine in the last little more than six months now, but recent memory. Question number three, Theo is how is a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Yeah. When I was 25, I asked my now wife out and she rejected me and I was very salty. And three years later, maybe I was 23 at the, at the time. And then, you know, I was a failure of three years until obviously now we're married. So I guess my, that's my favorite failure. That's awesome. I did not know that. I mean, I should have thought a little deeper on this one. <laughs> well, I, I actually had something different and then that just came to my mind. When I read favorite failure, I think the wife was a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, For me, I had a lot of failures leading up to my start in real estate. And for those that don't know, real estate was the first, what I referred to back then as a small business or a hobby that actually worked. So leading up to that point, I ran about 20 small businesses all the way from high school and all the way through college and then post-college, all kinds of stuff, renting out audio equipment. I had a clothing line. I did a lot of these things. None of them worked. It was just failure, 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 left and right. It was all I knew was failure. And I was about to almost give up. And this concept of real estate, for those that don't know, I started with house hacking. And it was just when a roommate basically was handing me a check for $600 for the month And my mortgage was $640. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't even have to work for that money. I was just handed that money and I'm basically living for free. So the whole concept of passive investing and cash flow and real estate really started to hone in. And that's really where it got my wheels turning. So I would say that those 20 failures in small business gave me a lot of perspective. So I have a lot of appreciation for real estate. I can just imagine myself, the first thing I ever tried was real estate and it worked, I'd probably take it for granted and say, yeah, 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 but I could go launch all these other businesses too. So forget real estate. And that would have been a huge mistake. So that was mine. Yeah. Perspective and appreciation is always a good thing to take away from failing. Yep, exactly. All right, Theo, question number four. If you had a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, if you could get your message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say? So I had a hard time with this one. Maybe the best response, but kind of harkening back to one of my books or collection of books, which would be Plato. And so I had my, my billboard saying, you aren't as smart as you think you are. 
dot, dot, dot. And that's okay. I love that. I love these little short snippets. That's so funny that you picked that too, because the one I picked is a quote from a guy named Neil Strauss, kind of a modern philosopher of sorts. And I'm actually wearing a bracelet. You can't see it because I got a cuff thing here, but it says, learn more, no less. And I just love that. That just encapsulates my whole philosophy on life. I'm always trying to learn and read books and find mentors, but I'm not trying to know everything. I'm not trying to be a know-it-all, a guru of sorts. So it's kind of a humble saying. That's awesome though. Yeah. So our sayings are very similar. They like are. They, they really are. <laughs> All right. Question number five. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be money, time, or energy. I don't say this is ever, but I think, again, applying this to my job. So buying three monitors, I can't explain how amazing it is having multiple monitors and not trying to shove every single thing onto one screen. I had so much anxiety when I just was working on a laptop and then I got a second monitor. It was better, but it was still, I'd have to shrink things. It caused me so much frustration. And now that I have three monitors, like I always am able to have everything I need to see at least half the screen. And it's worthwhile because it did give me a lot of anxiety and uh, frustration. So three monitors, three big, massive, I think these are 24 and this one, maybe like 28 inches. Wow. They're pretty pretty big. Yeah, definitely bigger than I thought. Yeah. For anybody who's never tried it, I know it may just seem foo-foo, but I'm telling you, the first time I was introduced to multiple monitors was when I went to go work for a brokerage firm and it was just two monitors, but they were very big to your point. They're probably like 24s side by side. And it's funny because the first week I was in training, trying to learn that job, I refused to use the second monitor. I thought of it as a pain point. And then I got to worry about looking over here and over here, and then I'm going to lose track of things. And I'm so used to one. And so I rebelled against it until I finally realized the benefit. And oh my God, it, I mean, it may just, I can't even imagine three, but if you've never tried it, you should at least try it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Give it a chance. For mine, it was mentors. Again, going with the theme of our show, I can't think of a more worthwhile investment, especially for the mentors who were willing to give me their time for free. <laughs> I mean, that's quite the investment, right? And just to be able to see somebody who is successful doing what it is you want to do and being able to pick their brain, so to speak, and go through scenarios with them has been the most rewarding, I think. Mm -hmm. And again, I read a ton of books. I'd say that's a close second investing in books and in some ways more so, but mentors are great. So nice. Cool. Number six, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? This is another hard one because obviously any habit that I have is not absurd, unusual to me. But <laughs> something that surprises a lot of people, I guess, is that the only type of music I listen to is opera music and classical music. Oh, really? I listen to some stuff for my son now. That's not uh-huh. that, but that's like the only music I like. I'm not a fan of <laughs> anything else. Wow. Like some Pavarotti blogging and stuff like that? <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means, but is that a person? <laughs> Lucille Pavarotti, he's an opera. I think he's okay. an opera. I don't know. I don't know the names of the singers. I like Bach and Handel a lot. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, like true classic. Okay, I got you. So it's like older stuff. Because like my other thing, I was maybe say I don't listen to any music that was made within the past 300 years, but I guess technically I do because modern orchestras will do renditions of older songs, but I wasn't really sure if that counted. But yeah, opera music, classical music, and nothing else. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> For mine, 
this one's really goofy, man. But when I was in college, I was on such a tight budget with myself. I didn't have to be. I just chose to be as frugal. It was like a game to me. So I did $2 per meal, three meals per day. So I couldn't spend more than $6 on food in a 24-hour period. So I did that for a couple of years. And I'm still fascinated with the game aspect of it. So I still try to not spend money on food, generally speaking. Obviously, we go to restaurants and we do our thing. But I was trying to get my wife to do this with me for years now. She won't do it. (laughs) But I said, let's put $20 cash in our pocket on a Monday and let's see if we can make it through Sunday. (laughs) And I really want to do that. That's just a fascination. Obviously, we had the money for food, but it's an absurd thing. I wouldn't call it a habit. It's just an absurd thing that I love is saving money on food. To me, there's not much better than free food yeah. <laughs> or comped meals in some way. So There you go. Lots of, lots of pasta. Pasta can go a long way. Oh my gosh. Pasta and rice and the yeah. ramen stuff. I can do it. <laughs> it's by, 20, right. by 20 craft singles, the $1 yeah. macaroni and cheese singles and eat... Oh God, I got to share this, how dumb this is. (laughs) The other day in the grocery store, they had the Kraft macaroni and cheese for whatever reason, 50% off on manager markdown. And it was 60 cents for the box. I thought I have to buy some boxes of this. (laughs) It's just, just the idea that I could eat a meal for 60 cents just makes me smile. So yeah, it's absurd. I know. I know everybody listening. I know. All right. Question number seven. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? So I used to dip. I used to excessively drink alcohol. And then I did both those things merged together with playing video games for hours every day. Oh, wow. So I quit all of those. And obviously that's added a lot of time and concentration. So I'd say that. I guess it's kind of like getting rid of habits, not really making a new habit. But um, that was very helpful. That's my coffee. And then I'm always chewing sunflower seeds. My mouth is always super dry and my tongue's always ripped to shreds. I'm eating seeds all day. But I save hours per day from not having to sleep in, from being hungover and feeling like crap in the morning, to wasting money on dip, to spending hours playing video games so I could focus on other things. So then you switch to the hard drugs instead. Exactly. The hard drugs, the coffee and the (laughs) seeds. (laughs) All right. Wow. That's a great one. I love that one. That's huge. I went with just kind of more of a high level theme of just stoicism and self-discipline. I've always had some elements of these. I've never made them a study. In the last five years, I've made them more of a study. I've really kind of doubled down on what I've seen work in the past and kind of implemented that. So I could say that's a 10-year time frame. I could say that's most intense in the last probably 24 months, two years, but in general, Mm -hmm. stoicism and self-discipline were my answers. Cool. All right. Question number eight. We got to run through these last ones a little quicker. What advice would you give a smart driven college student about to enter the so-called real world and what advice should they ignore? Yeah, I kind of went back to my billboard saying, I think at least for me personally, I had the biggest head when I first got out of college. I thought I knew everything. So my billboard saying, if you're not as smart as you think you are, and that's okay, would be my advice to someone that came out of college, especially yeah. to someone who came out of college. Because at that sense, like you truly don't know anything about the real world, even though you have these mm-hmm. expectations of what it's supposed to be like that you adamantly think are true. So yeah, just Boy. be humble. 
That's so true, man. That's a great answer. And college is such a weird phenomenon, right? Just to (laughs) fork up that much money to go into something blind that you don't know what's going to be on the other side at all. I mean, it's a total gamble. When you're 18. Yeah, it's just, oh man, it's great. So I think immediately about my oldest nephew is in college now. He just started at Texas A&M, in fact. So I just had a conversation with him about investing as early as possible, that I know it's difficult and I know there's not a lot of money rolling around. I know this is pre-career, but I'm telling you and I'm showing them compound interest charts and I'm showing them cash flow and how I built that up over a decade. And if he were to start earlier than I started, he could be this much further and trying to inspire him just to get started earlier. As you know, every decade you wait, it gets about twice as hard as far as how much money you have to dedicate to your investing. So, hey, when you're at 18, that's prime time. If you can grasp some of these concepts that we talked about on this show, you're going to be light years ahead of so many people. So that was my thing. And I didn't really get into the advice you should ignore because there's too much of that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Most of it. Most of it. Yeah, just don't listen to anybody. Nine is what are bad recommendations that you hear in your profession or area of expertise? And that's something that I hear a ton, but I think people, especially those that are entering into real estate or are interested in real estate, and they think that they need need to be this wizard. They need to know everything. They need to have a 1000 IQ. They need to read every single book on real estate um, in order to be successful. And when you interview people as much as I do, again, there are people that are like that, but there's also guys that are not like that at all, that are just completely normal dudes who have yeah. made a ton of money in real estate. So in some cases, it can actually be harder the smarter you are because you overthink it. You overthink every single action. But yeah, I would just say you don't need to be a genius to be successful in real estate. And there's countless examples of that just on our podcast alone. Yeah, I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk or maybe it was Grant Cardone. One of these guys claims to have never even read a book. It's on, Grant Cardone. Was it? He's who comes to mind when I think of this. Yeah, just incredible to think about. And I would argue too that a good solid mentor could replace any other type of education out there and be more effective. But again, finding the right mentor. So obviously I'm an advocate for reading and listening to podcasts and doing these things. But to your point, I was that example of 52 books in a year. And where did that get me? Well, it was kind of useful, but it was kind of way too much. (laughs) And it kept me from taking action. It was kind of an excuse that particular year. So Good one. I like that. Mine was, I took this from a financial industry perspective, not necessarily just real estate. And I hear this advice all the time. And I listen to people talk a lot about maxing out a 401k. And a lot of people max out your 401k, do the maximum that you can put in every year. And there's a great book called 401 Chaos by Andy Tanner. And again, I'm no expert on this stuff, but that book solely had me demolish all of my retirement accounts. I got rid of my Roth, my pre-tax, my 401k. I got rid of everything after reading that book, which is kind of extreme. But there's no one who can really decipher it better, in my opinion, than Andy Tanner. So check out that book. And it's not to say that's not good advice for some folks in certain circumstances, but generally speaking, and especially to real estate investors, you might think about that or at least look into why you're doing that and what the implications are and the tax pros and cons and all that kind of stuff. So I'll leave it at that. Question number 10, in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to distractions, invitations, et cetera? 
For me, it's just myself. <laughs> As I mentioned, I used to have a lot of really bad habits. I mean, I still have bad habits, but I used to have like a lot of really bad habits that took a long time to get over. Mm-hmm. And whenever the thought comes up to maybe just do it again, maybe just pull your PlayStation out and play for a little bit, maybe just buy one tin of dip, maybe just buy one bottle of booze and you'll be fine. I just know. Let's not go down that road. Because once you realize how these things started, that's exactly how they start. <laughs> so you got into those bad habits in the first place. And so saying no in the beginning before you start, because once you open that door again, without even walking through it, it's really, really hard to close. To, you know, so gotcha. myself. Yeah, that's a great one. I love that one. So maybe some people wouldn't understand my response, but it's meeting up for coffee. So I meet with a lot of investors mm. and pre-COVID, it was conferences and people would always, yeah, let me get you lunch or pick your brain or do coffee. Well, <laughs> what I found was number one, that's a lot of my time that I had to dedicate to that. Just getting ready, getting dressed, commuting, parking, going somewhere. You forget about the cost of any of this stuff. Most of the time that was paid for. But still, what I found is that half of the time, I was being pitched something myself. (laughs) This is someone trying to meet up with me to sell me something. And I got to just calculating time value and all of this. And I thought, you know, this is just not a wise use of my time. I should be jumping on a podcast, writing a blog, doing anything else, doing a speaking event. Those types of engagements where I can get in front of, say, 300 people at a time are a far better use of my time than the one-on-one that 50% Mm -hmm. of the time I'm being sold. (laughs) So that was mine. I don't do it anymore, honestly, unless it's like super convenient. Someone's like coming my direction and it's right across the street and I wanted to go get a drink or lunch anyway. And it's like, sure, let's meet up there. And other than that, I don't do it. I've heard that a lot too. At first, I want to get coffee with everyone and meet all these people and pick their brains. And eventually people start doing that to you. And then next thing you know, every day of the week, you're driving to the coffee and then you're there for a while and then you get to drive back and... As you mentioned, most of the time, it never really comes to anything for you or for them. So that's a good one. I agree with that one for sure. Cool. All right. Last question. Question number 11. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? I had a hard time answering this one because for me more, it's just telling myself that's a temptation. Stop. And then eventually you can most of the time get back to focus. But I'd probably say a better answer would just be more coffee, more caffeine. If I'm on caffeine, I'm hyper-focused. And again, especially because a year ago, I said, oh, I'll just toss in a dip and I can do anything. <laughs> but now I obviously I don't do that anymore. And then five years ago, it would have been, oh, well, I was on Adderall so I could just concentrate for 24 hours straight without even moving. Whereas yeah. now I use caffeine and then mostly just talking to myself in my head. Yeah, it's circumstantial. It depends on what kind of focus exactly. or stress or what's on the line or what I have going on. But it's funny you mentioned caffeine. That was number one, which I know is so bad. We're both advocating caffeine. Caffeine is not the best thing for you, but it is effective in the right dosage. But that can reset my brain a lot of times, especially if I've got brain fog. I also do meditation, depending on how severe this unfocus is. That really helps me reset and let go of whatever's impounding my head at that time. Sometimes working out, just that physical exhaustion is very helpful. And then sometimes just listening to music, putting on my top Mm. three or four favorite songs in that moment, whatever I'm into, really helps me release and get out of that mindset. So 
a combination of these, any one of these, it really just depends, but it's typically one of those four things. Yeah. Working out definitely helps. It's just usually if we're going to do a full workout, it takes like an hour. So two things I've on that, that I've done in the past, I don't do it anymore, but if you kind of jump on the floor and do just push-ups, or you can just do like a push-up, sit-up, air squat cycle, kind of whatever. It, yep. it takes like a minute and it gives you a similar feeling of caffeine. It's a little bit different. It's not as intense, but you still get that, that feeling of caffeine, especially if it's a, you're a tired type of thing, your eyes are heavy. Doing push-ups will wake you up. I really like the music one. And then the other one that Joe, I'm not sure if he does it anymore, but he bought me this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he bought me. Or maybe he just sent me a link to a mini trampoline. I think oh, it's yeah. something that Tony Robbins, he's bouncing the trampoline. It's the same thing as push-ups and air squats. Yeah, full body. I do jumping jacks. A lot of times before I jump on a podcast, minus I didn't do it this morning, but <laughs> I usually just do probably 45 seconds of jumping jacks and it gets your blood flowing all through. Push-ups are great for exhaustion, but it's only really your upper body, right? So anyway, everybody- Or you do different. burpees. If you guys know, do you know what a burpee uh, is? I'm going to pretend like I don't know what that means. Burpees might be too depressing. Yeah, um, this is depressing. That may make you actually worse off at the end. <laughs> but burpees are like, kind of stand up, you go down and you do a push-up and then you jump in the air. Oh, gosh. And then you throw oh, yeah, up. Those, those are hard. All right, cool. Well, that's the 11 questions, everybody. So here's the book, Tribe of Mentors, Tim Ferriss. Great book for perspective and learning from different people's points of view. Thank you, Theo, for playing along with that. And uh, that's all I got for today. That was really fun. And I'm glad that I answered these questions beforehand. Didn't have to come up with them on the fly because it had been probably way longer than it was. So I rambled. But yeah, that was fun. And if you're listening to this, maybe answer the questions yourself. Because it was interesting to go through that and try to figure out, oh, what, what was a, a, my biggest failure, my greatest failure? Or, yeah, what do I do if I'm not concentrating? And maybe you realize, oh, well, I just continue to not concentrate. So it, maybe it could be something that adds value to you as well. And answer them from different perspectives, like from a personal life, from a fitness perspective, from a business perspective, from relationship perspective too. So good stuff, Travis. So thanks again for joining me. We'll be back next week. Until then, have your best every day and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.